Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hello, everyone. Quick disclaimer. Um, We had a technical difficulty, and in turn, the audio quality for this episode is trash. So we apologize, and you know we're still ironing out the kinks of this thing, so bear with us, but the content of this episode is grade A, so we hope you guys enjoy it with Selena from Know Your Vote. Enjoy. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Hi guys, how's it going? Good, how's it going for you? Happy Friday. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I think it's great what you guys are doing and I'm excited to participate. Of course, we're just so excited to have you and to, yeah. you know, chat all things in your vote and get the, get the whole scoop. Um, it's such a wild time. Um, oh like <laughs> genuinely hour to hour. I'm like, what simulation are we living in? So we are so excited to have you on the podcast um inaugural episodes which is amazing and crazy to us as well um of course just to give like a little bit of background um know your vote and girl on the gov um the classic funny world of getting connected um i know i found know your vote via instagram i feel like wow i am such a millennial when i think about that way um and that's really how, you know, I, I came across you guys um, and got to know what, you know, your vote was all about. So to sort of hand it over, um, can you give us a run through as to what know your vote is, um, what to expect when you go to the platform? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me, first of all. Um, I similarly found you guys, obviously, <laughs> through Instagram and was excited to see what you were building, um, especially because Know Your Vote in particular really has a fairly large um, millennial and Gen Z audience and a lot of women in particular. So I was excited to see what you guys are doing and how you're building out um, events and community in the space. But so Know Your Vote at its core, what it really does is give voters easy access to facts. So at kind of the heart of our mission, what we're doing is kind of building this political uh, media play where um, voters can understand who candidates are and where they stand on particular issues. And so the backbone of what we're doing is our site in particular, which is knowyourvote.io. And what we've done there is really aggregate all sorts of publicly available Um, primary source, academic source, and government source data on all of the candidates who are running for office. So the thinking there is really kind of breaking away from the sensationalism of traditional media and making it so that it's easy to consume um, concise, bite-sized pieces of information that are really, truly grounded in fact. 
And so we started kind of at the beginning of the year with a site that was just the presidential primary candidates. And we've expanded for the 2020 general election to include all of the candidates who are running kind of up and down the ballot from presidential to down ballot races. Yeah, I was checking it out the other day. I was actually looking um, at the Arizona races. I was super curious um, with all the attention that's been given there as to you know what those candidates look like, what's the conversation like. Um, and even just, it's funny, like looking at actual candidates' websites is sometimes they can be super vague. And I saw such yeah. a difference between Martha McSally's and her competitors. And I'm so shocked. I was like, okay, well, this is great. But what, what are you really running on? Like, it caused yeah. me to have such a moment of almost like mini panic, dare I say, and like to do so much extra research, which is great. And I'm happy to do it. But if it all is on one place and I can literally compare notes side by side, I feel like that's just so much easier. So seeing a concept like genius. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's, it's so needed. And yeah, like you said, like looking at, you know, a candidate's website, like it's vague, but they also tell you what they want you to hear. And, you know, so they kind of put out their, their scripted answers that they, you know, are campaigning on and that they are, you know, kind of showing people. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are you really going to do? Um, and so it's great to have like a kind of impartial resource to actually see what these issues are and where everyone stands on it and also like do you guys go into an incumbent's like history on some of these issues or the way they voted at least at least like recently obviously if if it's like a joe biden you're not going to go back to like the 80s or whatever and like look at everything he's done but um do you look at kind of in recent years and like their last term kind of what where they voted and what they what kind of policies they proposed yeah, we do. So it it depends on on kind of what the candidate's prior experience is, how much data we have. So we actually do go back as far as possible on legislative voting record. I want to say that our data goes back to 1990, 1991, um, which is literally the limitation of the data set that we're working with, which comes directly from Congress. Um, I actually would have happily gone back before then <laughs> just to have a complete repository, but yeah. that's that's kind of where we're kept. So where that won't show up is if a candidate has not served in Congress before, then obviously they won't have a voting record. But if they have served in Congress, um, we have all of that data and it's separated out based on issue areas. So you can kind of choose the issues you care about and then see, you know, which legislation they voted for or against on that particular issue. Cool. That's amazing. And so helpful too, especially looking at things by issue. I know that so many people vote on one issue. Yeah, that's actually something that came out super clearly in the research. So we spent basically last year talking to voters, surveying voters, meeting with people face to face in Starbucks across the country um, (laughs) and really understanding how people consume information and also what they vote on. And across the board, people have, you know, two to three main issues that they really care about. And that's how they go about making their choices in the election for the most part. Um, especially when they're looking at policy information in particular. So um, we really wanted the product itself to feel easy to the user based on what they care about. And so that's really where we chose to make the kind of choice of um, letting people search by the issues that they care about in particular, and then surfacing candidate perspectives on those issues specifically. And it is. It's so easy. Like I was looking through it, just like, I actually didn't know about Know Your Vote until, you know, Sammy introduced me and 
it's it's really just everything that's needed, truly. And it's so oh, easy. Oh, thank yeah, you. That's so nice. I'm like, yeah, and even just the way it's displayed and the way um like you maneuver through it, it's it's easy and it's again like just so necessary. So thank you. I too, it like it covers the surprises that you have with certain candidates. Like you might know one candidate about, I don't know, let's let's call it I don't know what gun reform is what comes to mind right now, but apparently that's where my head's at on a Friday <laughs> evening. So here we are. It's a light topic. Yeah, obviously. Everyone, oh yeah, Easy. happy hour, cool, gun reform. Like, hey, what's Just up? It's like hello? sipping on some rosé, like thinking about gun reform. <laughs> Honestly, at. someone's got to do it, so. <laughs> it's true. And you know what? It's just, it's going to be us this time. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's funny. It's like, you might know, okay, they are super, super second amendment heavy. Right. But you might not know anything else about where they stand. And to think about that candidate in so many different other, you know, lights is so in such an easy way. So nice and so accessible. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what, where this kind of stemmed from was, you know, in the 2018 midterm election cycle, experiencing this personally as a voter, but also especially hearing it come out of friends who were um, considering actually not voting due to the fact that they felt like they weren't armed with enough information on the yeah. candidates and the specific issues. Um, I was in California at the time. So uh, Maddie, you can probably relate to this. That ballot <laughs> yeah. is very overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I've always been like a political nerd. So I was really trying to encourage my friends. I was like, I'll, I'll figure out who you should vote for for you. Don't worry about it. You just need to get out and vote. Like, I will help you through this process. Yeah. And then in the process is like, okay, like to their point, this is really overwhelming. It takes a ton of time to research these candidates and the issues. And even the San Francisco um, and California voter guide itself feels like it's extremely dense to go through and it feels like it's intentionally misworded in some ways. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's across the board, a problem that so many people experience and we just wanted to make in, in this kind of environment of misinformation and disinformation, especially make it really clear and easy to understand actual facts on a candidate and then let the voter make up their mind from there. Yeah. I mean, I had a question too, like me and Sam are talking about it. I was going to ask it later, but like, I feel like this goes in line with what you just said. Like, in California too, I mean, there's, there are so many things on the ballot. And again, like you said, like I'm a political nerd and I still am stumped when I'm like going through and voting for things. And there's things on there, like, you know, the superintendent of the school and like all these things that I I don't know, like, I don't know how the superintendent has been doing. Like, and I don't know, (laughs) you know, who this new person, like, I don't know really like fully I feel like to be to responsibly vote on something. So I had a question right. for you, like if there's ever something that you do do your due diligence, you research it all, and you're still like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like I always struggle with this question of like, do I vote for something yes. on the ballot that I don't like fully understand yet, or like is that res- irresponsible if I just vote to vote on something, or like should I maybe skip that one and not vote on it? That is such a good question. I do not have a professional opinion on that. I will share my personal opinion on it. My personal opinion is, yes, that has happened to me. And it happened specifically in the 2018 midterms where I did my research and there was a question. Do you remember the question on dialysis that was on the ballot? Mm -hmm. I researched it and I was like, I still don't totally understand what this is. Yeah, why would you? Like, (laughs) It's not my background. I don't know much about it. it. Yeah, unless you've really been through something like that or, you know. 
right. I had no experience with it. And I went into the, I went into vote and I had all of my answers kind of pre-written out. And I got to that question and I was like, I really just don't feel qualified enough to answer this. And I feel like I am doing, I feel like I would be participating in a conversation that I just don't actually know enough about if I vote on this. And I left the question blank, but it haunted me. And it is very much one of the reasons that I don't know your vote. (laughs) Yes, I've done it too. It really does haunt you. You're like, wow, I'm like advocating for people to go vote. And I didn't even vote on that little thing, like on my ballot. Um, It is very much like where this came from. Like I was ultimately like, I do not want to have this experience again. And if I... I'm someone who literally researched this topic and and still couldn't comment on it, then a ton of people must be having this problem. We are doing our best as an organization to put as much information out there so that people have that confidence component and can make choices that they feel good about making Mm -hmm. in an election. Because one of the leading reasons that registered voters do not vote each election cycle is because they don't feel like they have enough good information on candidates and issues. And so if that is like an example where I felt that at a micro level, I kind of understood surely people feel this at a larger level in terms of what my recommendation is there. Like that's (laughs) how I personally shook out on it. I don't know what to tell you. You should do or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a tricky one for sure. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully everything's smooth sailing this year, but yeah, especially midterms, they get, they get really tricky. They do. And I feel like the local or, the election almost the trickier it is because the less information yeah. there is about it in general so i feel like that's where i always struggle it's like i feel like i have like a good granted political nerd but a decent understanding of the lay of the land when it comes to a national issue and yet like this the things that are happening look right outside my door i could not be less educated about and it's because it's it takes so much digging it does and like if i'm interested in this like i genuinely like care like find this entertaining do this in my free time and i can't figure it out that's a problem yeah, I mean, absolutely it's a problem for a reason obviously like it's designed in a sense that like it is hard to get that information but if there's a platform that can clarify that i mean oh my god music to our ears that's yeah. the goal we want to keep adding in more and more data and make it you know really simple to understand issues and you know, at, at, at some future state, we would love to build down even further and kind of do explainers by, you know, local area as well. We don't have that totally built out for this election cycle, although we do have candidate information on local and state candidates too. I guess that actually brings me kind of full circle back to an OG question. You know, we are talking about the sure. midterms and sort of what inspired you to oh. start in your vote, but was there like a very particular catalyst, like a moment in time, like, oh my God, okay, like, this is what I'm doing. And here we go. Going after it. Yeah. So it was the the moment of like, conceiving of what we were going to do and how we were going to do it in terms of building out a repository of data and providing information to people was very much during the 2018 midterm election cycle. It was like, this is a problem I'm hearing from multiple friends who are well-educated, they're well-employed, and they're planning on not showing up at the polls. That's a big problem. And so then when I dug into it more and saw all of the data around, um, you know, unequal access to information across different demographics in the country, um, as well as kind of the number of registered voters that don't turn out due to the fact of information alone, that's where I was like, this is really a, a big, sizable problem to solve. 
Um, and then in terms of like the, like go forward, like I'm doing this full time moment was sometime about a year ago, um, where I kind of realized was like, this is the election cycle to do it in on top of the fact that it is a problem and has always been a problem. We're now living in this, you know, hypersensitive environment. Things are incredibly vitriolic. They're incredibly hateful, incredibly polarized. Um, And information itself is hard to kind of verify what is true and what is not. And that is a problem I only see getting worse. Um, When you look at some of the, you know, social media companies that have, you know, barely been held accountable for the swirling misinformation everywhere. You can <laughs> yeah. only imagine the size and the and the and the grandeur that this problem could really start to have. So, this time last year, I was like, "I'm going all in on this," um, and and kind of this was my make or break it moment. And just mm-hmm. like this is what I'm going to do, and we're going to build this out for 2020, and we're going to make this work. Amazing. I mean, so what kind of like impartial sources do you use? Um, to get the information for Know Your Vote and like why primary source information and what is that? Yeah. So in terms of the sources that we're using, we're using for all of our candidate profiles in particular, which is the main bulk of the product, we're using primary source information. So something that came literally directly from the candidate, that's either we've incorporated things from their campaign websites directly from their Twitter feeds, potentially from medium posts that they've added as well. We're starting to add more of that data in also. Primary source information is information that basically comes directly from the horses now. And so what's good about that is that it's not being retold from another media outlet. You're not getting a slant to it. You're not getting a spin. You are getting objective information in the sense that this is literally what this candidate said. You can do what you want with that information or believe right. what you want about it, but this is what he or she said. Right. So that's one of the, one of the sources. Um, another source is congressional voting records. So we talked a little bit about that, but that's kind of like where people have voted, um, obviously in Congress, and that comes directly from um, co- congressional data. We use FEC donation data to help show kind of where a candidate is on an ideological spectrum. Um, The methodology for that comes out of a professor, Adam Bonica, at Stanford University. Um, We use Twitter because, again, directly from the candidates. And then I'm trying to think if I missed any others. I feel like I missed one, another academic source um, in particular Mm -hmm. that we use. Oh, there are other kind of legislative voting record sources that help score candidates, too. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that stuff, I feel like that's what's been so clouded. Um, And, you know, you talked about you know, social media and that whole issue. Um, And then having all these different resources like is so important. And I think people look to the media, which is so fair for them to look to the media to like get their information. But it's, it hasn't for a while now been very accurate. And it's not fair to the citizens and not fair to an electorate who's trying to make an informed decision. Um, And so it's great. And it's very, again, like, it's just so important that people are getting these primary sources of information rather than, say, a big media conglomerate that is known to side with one political party or, you know, from Facebook that, you know, (laughs) take all your data and feed you information, whether it's true or not. Oh my God, I want to hear. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's so important. And I think too, people don't realize what's happening to their information either. And they yeah. think what they're seeing is true and they don't realize that 
no, actually, this has gone through many different filters to make you hear kind of what you want to hear from it. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's definitely true. And I also think, too, with media, it's so hard. It's like so many people grow up with one particular media source as their that's media. very true. I have friends where it's like Fox News is on every day at their house. That's what they watch. That's what they trust. They think that is the normal. On the flip side, I have other people and other friends that CNN is their, you know, essentially their gospel, right? So what's the the sort of like medium? What's in between that? Girl on the gun, the podcast. Exactly. Here we are. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Where can people go get some like impartial like, news these days? Like I'm curious. I don't even know. Yeah. So aside from, from Girl in the Gov and from <laughs> Know Your Vote and the efforts that are kind of a, a lot of us in this space are trying to do to, to promote good information, I think it's a little more like or probably a little less where people can go and teaching people how to evaluate sources. And true. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it's just because something is on Fox News or something is on the New York Times or CNN or whatever source doesn't inherently make it, you know, not true because it's not the the source you grew up hearing from to to your point, Sam. Um, But what those those publications often do is slant things and they amplify certain pieces because they will provoke their base more more or kind of speak to people more. They'll, They'll be clickbaity titles. And so what I think we should really be doing is teaching people how to evaluate information and teaching them basically, you should really be verifying your sources in terms of what publications are you reading from, making sure that you're not only ever going to the same source repeatedly. If you see something in one source and it's especially provocative, thinking to yourself, hey, like, can I verify this on another source? Like if I saw this from one publication and it really invoked a sensation in me. It, are these other publications running the same information? That's one way. On top of it, like who is quoted in that? Um, are the, the publications that you're seeing it from getting their information from more than one source? Are they citing the source? Um, I think, you know, when you look at a Fox News or a CNN or a New York Times or whatever, really important to look at their sources in particular and figure out, you know, what names are they citing? What organizations are they citing? What publications does their data come from? And that's mainstream media. When you get into the land of more like (laughs) blog territory or more sensationalized, (laughs) the boutique news, if you will, you really, really, really need to be checking their sources. If you see something on especially like a, like a talk show host or any sort of personalities page, you need to be checking where they got their information and not just listening to them and kind of hearing the emotion that they're putting into what they're saying and that they're hoping to, to stir in you. Yeah. And I think to go kind of along with what you're saying too about Fox news and all that stuff, like context is also huge and how you mm-hmm. evaluate information and like, yeah, Donald Trump did say that, but that was a tiny snippet that didn't show what he said before and after. Right. And you have to be able to realize that and just really take everything, especially when you know, you know, as a Fox News viewer or CNN viewer, you have to know that obviously things are skewed and they're telling you 
you know, they're a Democratic or, say, Republican organization, you have to be able to evaluate the information with that in mind and take everything with a grain of salt. So I think that's just an important way to think about your news. And again, if you're getting all heated watching Fox News, or you're getting like heated about something watching CNN, like, step back and be like, okay, like, what did they just say? And how much of it was like, their opinion and their analysis of it right. versus like them yeah. telling me what happened today. Right. Because it's so different. I feel like news has become like op-eds rather than like. Yeah, it has in many today. ways. Yeah. Here's the hard information of what happened today. It's become like, yeah, that happened. And then here's our analysis of it. And then it's like, that's what people are taking as their news rather than like just the straight up hard information. Yeah. And I think too, it, it's a lot of it. I feel like in my news, speaking of opinions, is <laughs> critical thinking skills. And I, I don't think that's yeah. something that I even, I, I really didn't realize um, people are kind of at a detriment for it. I went to a liberal arts college and that was like the forefront of everything we did. It was like, okay, I'm going to take any fun yeah. fact away from this class. I just hope that, or at least this was the professor's goal, was that you have critical thinking skills. And you can yep. look at whether it's news media or anything else, with a varied lens and think about things through other perspectives. But I don't think that that is necessarily the, the common mindset as to how to approach things. And perhaps even, you know, through Know Your Vote and other methods as well, it's an idea of being able to reteach people how to kind of conceive and understand information that's out there. I think it's super important. And I think um, the point where you guys are both kind of making around media itself becoming more opinionized is where we are really emphasizing the importance of looking at primary source information in particular, because you are correct that often snippets are taken out of context and they're played up to play into an emotion that they know their viewers want to see or hear. And, you know, that's how, that's how media organizations make money for the most part. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's always a release of like the Department of Justice, as an example, will put out, you know, a press memo that will say, here's, here's, you know, what actually happened and what we're proposing. And that's often really what I suggest people actually look at. And often the media articles will link to those primary sources. And the, the problem is that people often don't want to take the time, but if, if you're willing to, Um, to actually click into the primary source and evaluate it, I feel like always gives me much better context. And and I feel then prepared to actually speak on the issue and, you know, know what happened. So I think it's so important to teach people those skills. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I feel like has really defined the last four years, which is crazy to say four years, but is the term fake news. I think it first came off the cuff with something Trump said, then it became there was like a barstool sports thing. Um, it went kind of viral where everyone was like hashtagging, oh my God, you're so fake news or whatever it was. But mm. the, the term and its origins really, you know, had some weight to it. Um, and I think it still does, especially at campaigns and rallies and um, whatnot. And so just in terms of what that means, I mean, what, what do you feel like the weight of that term is in today's day and age, kind of 2020? The weight of the term itself, I feel like, is fairly insignificant at this point because it has been thrown around so much. Um, It has been thrown around improperly in cases when things are, in fact, fact. Um, 
you know, politicians have now kind of corrupted it across the board. Um, to your point, Barstool Sports and like consumers <laughs> in America have as well. So I don't know that the term has uh, much weight anymore. I don't, I don't like hearing the term, especially in the discussion of politics, because we're now in a landscape where anyone can call anything fake news. And that is simply not true. Fact is objective. There is a source of fact. Um, um, the problem of false information being portrayed as factual information is, of course, actually a problem. We can probably no longer really effectively use the term fake news, but it is a thing. There is misinformation and there is disinformation. And the difference there being one is intentionally intended to deceive and the other is not. The other, someone kind of mistakes as fact, but it's actually incorrect. So that's misinformation, disinformation being um, intentionally in intended to deceive. Um, so that actually exists and that is a real problem. And I think that is a real um, motivator for why we created Know Your Vote. And it is a real motivator for something that we talked about earlier, which is the news literacy piece and encouraging people to understand um, where their media comes from and you know, what the sources are of the media that they're consuming and really understand and be able to evaluate if something is, is factual or not. Yeah, absolutely. One question I did have for you that I was talking to Sammy about is I was wondering if you got to watch Social Dilemma. I have. Yes. Okay. I want okay. to talk Perfect. about it a little bit because I feel like it really just goes like, it gives a really good inside look at what we're talking about here, which is yes. social media side of things, which I feel like we, yeah. we mentioned, but haven't fully talked about. Um, there's obviously like the big political media conglomerates we've talked about, but really now talking about social media platforms and how news is portrayed through those mediums. Yeah, so the way that it works is that these platforms are designed at their core to keep users engaged. And this is not an opinion, and that is fact, that is how the tech industry works in general. They are keeping users on their site for as long as possible, especially if their revenue model is advertising, because that is how they make advertising dollars. If people are looking on their page, they're engaging with their page, they are on there and more likely to be able to surface an ad that is relevant to them, and then therefore they make money off of it. So in general, if you are on a social media platform and it makes its money versus, uh, by advertising, which to my knowledge, they all do, um, yeah. you should be very wary of how much time you spend on that and what information you are being hit with because they are monetized based on your time spent on the platform and their ability to surface content that is interesting to you. Um, where that gets especially dangerous is that their algorithms work to keep you in a loop that keeps your psychology engaged. Um, so that's where like in the social dilemma, you see things like the like count and getting tagged in a photo at a psychological level that gives us a hit of dopamine more or less. And it makes you feel yeah. good and it brings you back to the product if you weren't already in it. And if you were, it keeps you in the product which gives the platform much more time to surface, again, ads that they can make money off of to you. Um, okay. So what they start to do with their algorithms is particularly surface information that pulls on psychological triggers that will keep you in the product longer. Psychological triggers that do that are usually things like fear, their anger, 
their disgust, they're things that pull at really primary emotions kind of at a basic level. And that is where you see misinformation start to spread. So people potentially in your friend group or family sharing information that might not totally be correct, but they were so um, viscerally engaged by the content when they saw it that they reshared it. And then on top of that, and very dangerously so, that is where you see disinformation, so intentionally incorrect information being spread. And so in 2016 and the years since then, you've seen groups on Facebook um, that have taken off you know, at the hands of the Russian government directly uh, and at the hands of other foreign governments for yeah. that purpose um, that are intended to, dis- um, intended to sow discord across the board. You know, on the left and on the right, they are intended to um, make people feel a particular way and really capture attention and raw sentiment. Um, and so where you've seen over history, um, the Russians in particular run disinformation campaigns to try to make certain populations upset at each other and try to influence an outcome of the election. You know what I mean? Yeah. How does that, how does that differ from, I guess, traditional media of like, well, they, they get ads, like they bank on views and that is what gets them money. Like, how does that differ? So that's a good question. I mean, there is some parallel there. Traditional media in a lot of ways does make money off of ads. The problem is that for something like Facebook, the reach is just so much more substantial um, than you have out of any single media outlet by an order of magnitude. Um, I am not sure how many countries are represented on Facebook at this point, if it's every single country or the vast majority of them, um, but they, they, they have billions of users. Um, that type of scale and um, the swiftness with which information can be disseminated on it has never been seen before in human history, period. Um, And it is frankly a scale that is just simply too large for Facebook as a platform to be able to monitor what is happening on it. Even if they have teams in all sorts of areas and algorithms in every area, they simply do not have the ability to know what is going out on their platform all the time. Uh, Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, is there any advice you give to people to like just be aware on those platforms i just think people need to be super mindful at the end of the day of how the platform is making their money and how it is um how information spreads on it and how people can use the platform to say basically whatever they want at any time with very little regulation i think that knowing what we know now um you know, and, and of course, this is this is not a knock on the people who have built it necessarily. It is it is so far beyond the scope of a single human being being able to yeah. fix. Um, mm-hmm. It is just, I think, incumbent on users to really understand what they are engaging with when they are on there and choose very selectively the amount of time they uh, will spend on those platforms, as well as what content they will be willing to consider true, what content they will be willing to go research separately. Yeah, that news literacy and critical thinking, like across the board needs, like, that's what you need to do. If you want to be protected, like protect yourself from it, you need yeah. to be able to think critically. Um, so we also just wanted to like talk about the ballot and people, sure. you know, people are going to vote very, very soon. 
Um, and there is, as we just, we just talked about the youth vote in our other episode and how there's so many people this year expected to vote that have never before. Um, so, you know, for those who maybe haven't voted before and aren't always very civically engaged, um, can you maybe help break down like what people can expect to see on their ballot? Like, obviously it varies everywhere, but it depends. You know, most people are like, oh, it's a presidential election. I'm voting for the president. But Mm. there's so much more to that. What can people expect to see on the ballot this year? Yeah. So you'll definitely see, of course, presidential presidential candidates and vice presidential candidates. But you will also see um, candidates for the House of Representatives. So one part of Congress, depending on, you know, obviously kind of wherever you are, that that will be applicable to everyone. Um, you might see a Senate candidate, depending on which state you're in. Senators serve terms that are six years in length, so they might not be up this election cycle, but they also very well could be. Um, so Senate and House together make up Congress, so you'll see basically those congressional candidates. Um, and then depending where else you are and what kind of municipality you're in, you will see You'll see state candidates, so you'll see um, state representatives, state senators, potentially. You'll potentially see a governor, depending on what state you're in. And then further down the ballot, you will see potentially, you know, superintendents, judges. Um, Some of the local candidates kind of vary as well, and that depends also where where you are based. and the, the interesting thing really digging into that data in particular is that the guidelines for the process of voting really vary considerably, not only across state, but also across kind of local jurisdiction as well. So that is kind of at a candidate level what you could see. That, again, depends on where you are. And then on top of that, actual um, referendum items you might see also and so california is a state that often has a lot of referendum items where they're asking (laughs) voters to really comment on a specific issue and that is like really direct democracy in many ways like you are Mm -hmm. you're voting yes or no on an issue and they're i i think they're all majority passed and so you know if if the majority votes yes then that issue um or, or that piece of uh legislation gets passed that's awesome and obviously you want people to do some sort of due diligence before they hit their ballots, whether it's their absentee or they're actually showing up the polls. Yeah. You know, personally, I still got my absentee. So it's looking like I am going physically to the polls at this point. Yep. Um, I am too. And I have, I have put in that request. I have followed up with them via email. I haven't gotten anything. Um, mine is actually related to my registration because I moved fairly recently. Um, oh, I submitted my registration months ago. Now, luckily, this is, I, f- I feel like this is worthy of discussion. Yes. Some, some states have same day registration and I, I live in the district of Columbia and I know that we have same day registration. So I am basically still hounding the local elections office to confirm that they're sending the absentee ballot in the mail that they're supposed to, because they have electronically told me they've received my registration, but it has not shown up in their electronic system that I verified online. I am obviously very nervous about this. So I yeah. have a backup plan in place, which is I'm just going to same day register. And that means I'm going to show up at the polls in person with my license and the proof of, um, I, th- I think in DC, they require basically uh, like a utilities bill or something that shows that you are as- associated with an address yeah. um, and do it in person. And I would like to not do that given 
COVID, given that the lines could be really bad, but like, if that's what that comes down to, that's my backup plan. So no, I'm so happy you said that because you're obviously someone who is going to do whatever the hell they can to vote yeah. and are very, I will, yeah, it. I will vote one way. Trust me. Yeah. I will, I but will there's vote. a lot of people who like might see, Oh, I guess I didn't register. Shoot. Can't vote this year. Um, but there are things you can do for anybody listening who like is dealing with some kind of roadblocks to getting their vote in, like reach out, like email people, call people, um, your secretary of state, you can go down to like, you know, your in your county and your, in your district or whatever. Um, do what you need to do to vote. And I like Michelle Obama, like said it in the like DNC, her DNC speech, like if the lines are down the street and are, you know, all like all night you're in line, like stay in line. Like it, it's that to. important. It's so snacks. It's yeah. <laughs> That's the Absolutely. best advice. I've not seen that yet. You guys need to make a post that says that on Girl the Gov. Yes. Oh gosh, bring, yes. Snacks, bring your AirPods, download a few movies on your phone. Like you're staying in that line. Like it's existential. It's it's so so important. Um, yeah. And it's once a, it's once every four years. So like do it. Have fun with it. <laughs> I honestly like Have a little party. Doing you probably committed to worse things than standing or sitting in a line for oh, 100%. hours. Like oh. and especially today, <laughs> like we all have phones. Like you can certainly, to your point, watch a movie. You can listen to music. Like you can do your job for a lot of people on your phone. Like yep. uh, it's not the end of the world, and it is such an important election, and it's really important that people stay in line. And uh, that kind of dovetails into another topic, which is you know, if the doors are closing, you can stay in, if you were in yes. line, you can stay Thank in line. And there are also, there is, um, I think it's uh, 866 hour vote. I want to double check that those are the right numbers, but there are hotlines you can call too, if you yep. are being told you cannot vote and if the doors are closing on you to report basic, basically voter suppression. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I worked on Tom Steyer's campaign for the primaries. And so for all those primary elections, we, we provided those resources as well. There's a bunch of organizations that will be on the line ready to answer any questions you have. But if you are voting in person, definitely go in knowing all your rights. Know if you need to bring an ID. Um, Know that once you're in line, you're in line, you're allowed to be there, even if the door is technically closed or the, Mm -hmm. the polls closed. If you're in line, you get to vote. So um, yeah, make sure you go in knowing all your rights and be prepared. And I think everyone should think, think that way about it and be excited about doing what they need to do to get their, get their vote in. So completely agree. <laughs> yeah. yes. I completely agree. I am like so nerdy about this in California. <laughs> they always send out the ballot as you know, yeah. and I would still go do it in person just because it gives me such a joy to do. But, um, that's me. And I, I'm nerdy about this. But this year, due to COVID, I was very much planning to vote by mail. But the fact that I can't get a confirmation that my registration alone has been processed, yeah. and I've, you know, followed up phone, email, etc. I've sent it several times, like, and it, I, I don't have a confirmation has me very worried. Um, and you know, my concern with mail-in voting at this point is not around fraud at, at all. I encourage everyone who uh, needs to vote by mail to do so. However, I am concerned about the postal service processing things quickly enough. I'm concerned about potentially yeah. things getting lost. Um, and so, I think the the real recommendation for this election cycle is to vote 
as early as you can, get your ballot in as early as you can. If your state has in-person early voting, show up in person and do it early. You'll, you're much less likely to see crowds, you know, wear your mask and be safe. But I'm pretty sure um, the, the best advice at this point is to get your ballot in as early as possible, whatever means that, that um, kind of takes the shape of. Yes. Definitely. And I'm so with you on the going in person thing. Um, I don't know if this is another state thing, but in New York, we have uh, voted stickers and I yes. love them. <laughs> you need stickers. one of those. It just feels so good. Like it, yeah. I did it. Like, see? Yeah. Surprise. Like, all you get to post stickers. that picture. Yeah. You get to tell everyone you voted, which is super important. Yeah. Some bragging rights are key. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> once, that's once the day is over, <laughs> once the day's over, you stick it on your phone and then like until it gets like grimy and gross and brown and you like finally take it off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The elections boards are never giving out like the fancy Mac stickers that like can withstand some water. Like they're giving out definitely like the lowest end low budget stickers and they eventually yeah. just oh, fall yeah. off. But yeah, you keep that around <laughs> for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, I do have a question that kind of going back to like the ballot and like choosing yeah. candidates and things, basically kind of, how do you suggest a voter goes about choosing an, a candidate? And I kind of say you kind of have to make your list of priorities and rank them so that if a candidate stands somewhere on one issue, but doesn't on another issue you care about, you kind of have to like weigh things about like what's higher, a higher priority for you. And I feel like I hear this a lot where people are like, like I don't like either candidate and they're mm-hmm. not like exactly what I want. Um, and I think that's something we, we saw in 2016 we're seeing mm-hmm. now. And I don't know, I guess, what would you kind of suggest for voters who, you know, I think people look for like the perfect candidate, but that's never, ever, ever been the case. And what do you suggest to people who maybe are looking for the perfect candidate or don't like a candidate, like how to choose one and like how to make the priorities that ultimately will make that decision. That is an excellent question. And I think it's super important to your point. It was important in the last election cycle. I think it's always been important, but it's going to become more and more so as polarization continues to increase. Um, You know, even when I was little, I can remember people saying, um, in like the 2000 election, like Bush v. Gore. I have like a distinct memory of my grandfather saying it's, <laughs> he's going to choose the lesser of two evils. And you know, that they statement that has- every year. Every exactly. Year. <laughs> that statement has always been around. Mm-hmm. Like people always feel like there isn't an ideal candidate. And, and that's because there isn't, you know, like no. these are people that are trying to appeal to 50, 51 plus percent of the entire American population. Like they are not going to say things that align with you 100%. And that is unfortunate, but like we are a broader society and it is not just your specific individual interests that are- Yeah, what I would tell somebody is like, does everybody like you? Like, let's think about (laughs) that. Does everyone like me? Probably not. Like, let's just, we're human. I like that. I hope that is like your personal campaign. Every time someone says this, this election cycle, you're like, yeah, well, like, does everybody like you? <laughs> so honestly, the first time I thought about that and said it out loud, but I, I'm living for it. I've seen yeah, this, this comparison on social media that I feel like is really apt. And I hope that I don't butcher this. So if I do, can one of you correct me if you've seen this? Yeah. Um, I've seen this comparison that is basically like voting is not marriage. You are not marrying yes. a candidate 
It is more equivalent to like getting on a bus to go to work. And if your bus doesn't show up at the stop that you're usually at, you're not going to not go to work that day. You're probably going to walk a couple blocks over and take the bus that is going to get you like 90% of the way there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to walk the other 10 minutes. You're not going to, you know, have a direct ride that day. For this year specifically, the analogy I feel like that would really work is like, if you were starving in the desert and you really wanted a cheeseburger, <laughs> but you were only provided like a little, like some like romaine lettuce with like some gross dressing on it. Are you going to pass that up? Because it's not the cheeseburger you wanted. <laughs> like you're starving. You're going to die. Like you have to choose a candidate. Oh my God. Very specific food choices. <laughs> I have way more questions about that. <laughs> I just, it just popped in my brain. I don't know. I can't really explain it. <laughs> But no, I do think that is such a good analogy and such a good point. It's like, no, you, you're going to really, in that case, choose lesser of two evils because that's, that's the only choice. I think people need to be thinking about, um, people need to be thinking about what matters most to them. And they need to be thinking about that at a very large scale that I do not think people are accustomed to thinking about. And that is unfortunate. So people should, my recommendation for this election and really any of the candidates in it are kind of, you know, at the presidential level and below, it is not you specifically and what matters most to you in a given moment. It is what matters most to you, what you value the most at a, at a much bigger level, because the, the point I was making is that this is not about just you and everything aligning to your specific interests, because no candidate is going to align to every specific interest, but you know, systemically, what matters the most to you, you know, what pieces of our democracy do you value the most? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that people need to be thinking about broadly. And for some people, you know, that might be ensuring that the government provides everybody healthcare. On the flip side, that might be ensuring that, you know, the private market continues to stay in that. Like, there are, of course, different perspectives there, but it is especially at the presidential level, you know, much more systemic than it is granular and to you specifically. And so I, I certainly know a lot of people that are, that are having this question and they don't like either of the candidates and they have, you know, one particular thing they're going to hang their hat on. But I think people need to be thinking much more broadly at the like, systemic level and they need to be thinking which candidate is going to get me, you know, 70% of the way to the things that I value the most. Yeah. And that candidate yeah. might not have everything you like. That candidate might have a healthcare policy you hate, but that candidate might have, you know, the broader kind of value system more at play that you have. And, you know, at Know Your Vote, we're doing our best to show you where the candidates are on each of the issues. Um, but I encourage people to think about the issues broadly in this election cycle as well. Yeah, it's kind of like themes over details. Mm-hmm. When, when you're at the point where you don't agree with a candidate on everything, you, you need to think yeah. a little more broadly, I think, especially at the national level. All right. Are we, are we ready for I have a stupid question? I think we are. <laughs> um, so we'll jump in <laughs> to this. Um, so our first question um, is, what is gerrymandering? We hear all the time, especially with voter suppression, uh, at local elections, anything. That's where it really, really comes up. But what is it? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't think that's a stupid question. I think it's actually <laughs> the word itself is very confusing. It's what not obvious what it means. What are the origins? <laughs> I can't tell you what the origins of the word? word mean. Actually, I might have been able to at one point, but I, I don't want to speak on what the origins of the word are. However, I can tell you the definition of the word, which is it is it is basically when a political party is manipulating the boundaries of the constituency. Um, so that it favors them. So in plain boundaries, exactly physical boundaries, um, which make up kind of the district that is voting for them in a particular election. So in, in very, you know, more, uh, layman's terms, it's literally drawing the boundaries so that the outcome favors you and across history, both parties have done this. And this is where, um, it's actually super easy to see if you ever look at a um, electoral map that has the districts drawn in it, because they are drawn in the craziest fashions. You'll see they make like, no sense. They make no sense. You'll see something that looks like a box, and then like a little sliver, like all the way off in the corner, that doesn't <laughs> seem to make any sense and looks like it very much should belong with a different district entirely. Yeah. And that's because geographically speaking, it should, but they're drawn by population. So that particular sliver was taken to capture, you know, more Democratic voters or more Republican voters, you know, either either way, whichever way it's being gerrymandered towards. Um, it is, they, they don't make sense geographically. They make sense based on distributions that will or will not vote for a specific party. 100%. And I think it is, like, interesting just in terms of, like, the local elections. Um, for Girl on the Gov, we did a Q&A with state senator, New York state senator, uh, Biagi, and she awesome. has a really funny district. It's partially Westchester and partially the Bronx. And for those that don't really know New York State, totally different. Oh my gosh. I mean, night and day as to what the yep. demographics of both of those areas look like. Um, and it, even geographically, if you literally drew that on a map, like, what is that shape? Like, exactly. You can't even name the shape because that's yeah, so it looks like a little like baby drew it on accident. Like, <laughs> like you definitely did not learn this shape in geometry class because it like is not a thing. A drunk toddler <laughs> took a crayon and was like, exactly. "Oh my god!" Yes. <laughs> yeah. That honestly could not describe it better. And so I think it's these things she says, you know, and, and commented on just trying to figure out policy that works for both of those demographics. And that only becomes trickier when the, the spaces are so divided like that. So it definitely was really interesting when she said that she was, she was talking about that um, and just sort of how that's like impacted her own career and what they kind of put on ballot there. So, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing to think about just this year with the things going on um, and the issues that we're facing and how just different jurisdictions come into play. I feel like the idea of being for states' rights is like a like very traditional Republican ideal. Yes. Um, but at the same time, just the way, I don't know, I think about this all the time, just our country is so diverse. Mm-hmm. Like we have it so hard, honestly, to really appease everyone in this country it's it's hard to do and it's a huge country it's a huge country that if you just think (laughs) about populations yeah if you think about just like personality differences between us three and then where did we all come from and where did we grow up to like from you know an affluent town in california to like 
if you grew up in Oklahoma. Like I grew up in farm country, so there you go. Exactly. So it's like we how are we expected to all want the same things? Or so there is this aspect of like, yeah, your state government matters and you should really interact with it as much as you can, just like your local um government. And especially with this year we're seeing with coronavirus to police reform, like those are things that are often like addressed and decided on at a local and state level. And, you know, again, I said, I've said this before, like even with this president that we have, who sometimes will like tweet something that isn't actually like legally in his jurisdiction to do and it confuses mm-hmm. people. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's just like these levels that people don't fully understand that again, political nerd, like I'm sure we all have our moments where we're like, wait, is that, can you do that? Or like <laughs> yeah. my county decide that? Or like, who's, who's deciding whether I can like go to brunch tomorrow Like <laughs> at this point with coronavirus? Like so who, true. who's yeah. like telling me what I can do and not do? I, I think everybody has those moments. And I think that that's where it is cool. I think to see this kind of up, swell I guess this is kind of like swelling force of people who are in our demographic in terms of age that are really trying to um, get more information out there and build tools to your point earlier that maybe didn't exist because I feel like everyone has versions of those questions where it's like wait a minute like who can make that decision for me like do I vote for that person do I not like when do I vote for that person um the information is just, you, you know, it, it's a complicated system. It's a huge country. It's complicated. And um, it's not always clear who can or can't make certain decisions. And I think that everybody has those questions. And I think politically, too, something that is definitely one of our flaws as a country um, is politically things are just made black and white. It's like you either think this or you think mm, this. But they're, compre- they're com- so comprehensive issues that need yep. to be addressed at a very holistic level. And politically, they're made black and white so that you have to choose one side or the other. But it's actually, that's not the case. Like, they're so much bigger than that. They're so much more complicated and complex. And um, that makes it really hard to, like, again, have an informed electorate to, like, decide what needs to be done. I appreciate that you brought up that point because that is also very much something that we are trying to tackle through Know Your Vote and through kind of what we're building, you know, in longer term through social media and newsletter channels and trying to get good information out to people is, is building this space where it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to change your mind. Those are key tenets of our brand. Yeah. Because I, I, it got to this point. point where I was just like, you know, people that I know on both sides of the aisle, if they are registered Democrats or they are registered Republicans, and typically the people who have always been really feel like they have to dig their heels in and stick to a specific perspective because it was the party line. And it's just not the case. Like to your point, issues are so nuanced and it is okay to feel aligned to one particular perspective of an issue, but also think, Oh, there are these other factors that come into play. And maybe Mm -hmm. I feel differently about this when this policy is implemented in this state or it affects this demographic or, you know, there are so many components to policies and, um, I just feel like the the current discourse in our country does not leave room for nuance whatsoever. But what I find really heartening is that the millennials and Gen Z demographic that we have worked with, you know, predominantly through New Year's Vote, very much echo a lot more of the perspective that you just um, outlined, which is 
there's a real hunger now for nuance again and for mm-hmm. making things less black and white and understanding that there there can be um there can be you know not even a middle road so much as an understanding of different perspectives and how things um, might be more complicated than what meets the eye initially. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that always gets me is sort of like the loyalty aspect mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. People have this like deep, it's almost like a sports team. Like, is this football? Like yeah. Yeah. people really feel that way. I know people that might disagree with everything a candidate is saying, but because it is literally branded, it is literally labeled that they are a Republican or that they are a Democrat, they will vote for them. Yeah. If you thought about that in any other capacity outside of an election, you you wouldn't go forward with that. And I think that mentality is really weird and really warped. It also makes me wonder, is like everyone a Leo? Is everyone like thinking about like, <laughs> that? Like your main personality trait, like what's happening here? Oh, don't get us started on astrology. I was going to say, I, I appreciate that you brought up astrology. Uh, the perspective okay. <laughs> I was going to say though, is that sports is a perfect metaphor and it is very much... Um, the psychology that goes into rooting for a particular team is very much played upon by parties historically in terms of creating identity politics around or identity mm-hmm. identities around politics. Um, right. And I think that is, you know, why it's important for the younger demographic to have space to explore and have more nuance. But also, it is very much a reason, I believe, personally at least, to get more women involved in politics, in participating in it, as well as. Um, just, you know, comfortable and confident in having opinions and, you know, making a a political stance because for the most part, women are a little more open-minded and um, more willing to kind of consider nuance. And I think that that is important because the psychology of voting and if political parties has very much been played upon like a sports team in, in many instances, I think that's a very apt comparison. Yeah, 100%. Let's kind of get into, you know, the news and what's going on and kind of what people are talking about today with a range of topics that I think are definitely applicable to Know Your Vote and what you guys do. Um, So first, we want to talk about mail-in voting um, and the kind of heavy topic around that right now um, regarding mail-in voting, USPS. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of question marks around that. Um, oh my gosh, was that a cat? Yes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cut that out. That is my cat. I'm not cutting it out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Gatsby, come here. Come here. I don't know if I want to bring her over here. She it's okay. Good right now, Gatsby. She'll make her away. Cats, cats do whatever the hell they want. Like, they do. True. This is like all of my listen. Zoom calls are like this. Maybe she'll show up. Maybe she won't. She's never invited though, but... <laughs> but first, so mail-in voting, kind of what what are your thoughts on mail-in voting? Obviously, it's very pertinent right now with the with the pandemic, yeah. like having probably majority of people do that. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like, how do you think it's going to work out with just this kind of flow, heavy, heavy flow of probably mail-in voting that's going to happen this year? Mail-in voting is something that, yeah, I have, a, I have done a lot of research into, and as an organization, we have put out a lot of content on because it is oh, cool. going to be um, so, so heavily used this election cycle um, in ways that are, you know, at much higher volume than we've ever seen before. Um, a lot of thoughts on mail-in voting. Off the cuff, mail-in voting is a safe practice. Um, 
across the board, um, when, when measured across kind of, you know, MIT Election Center, uh, I think the Brennan Center has put out information. I think Heritage has put out information. Um, state legislatures have as well. Um, rates of fraud across the board are always below 1%. They're at like 0.006 or something like that. I mean, measured rates of fraud in mail-in voting are extremely low. Actually, measured rates of fraud in U.S. elections in general are extremely low. Um, so I don't know that that should be the focus of the concern. And I know that, you know, the president has tweeted regularly that it will make a fraudulent election, and that is not true. However, where I do have concerns is now kind of around timeliness of receipt of information, Yeah. Um, which is why kind of earlier I mentioned, I would really strongly advocate for everyone to vote as early as possible. So if you are voting by mail, if you need to request a ballot, do it immediately and send it back immediately. Um, if you're going to do it in person, if your state has early voting, do it as early as possible. If your state is sending out ballots to everyone, which many states are where they haven't previously, they've made specific accommodations for COVID, again, send it back as soon as you can. Um, I don't think my concern at all is around fraud, but I am a little concerned with how quickly the system will be able to process yeah. ballots. Um, and I, th I think it's very clear at this point, we will not know a winner of the election on election night. It may take weeks. It might even take longer than that. And yeah. I think that that time will be incredibly um, turbulent. Turbulent is a good word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, turbulent. we got a taste of that in the Iowa caucus this year um, in the primary. Oh, um God, Which, that feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Right. I was working. <laughs> I was working on a campaign during that time, and it was just like an absolute shit show. Right. Um, and you know, but at the same time, I think everyone needs to have the mentality to prepare for that, and know that it's probably going to happen, and do everything in your power to make sure that you get your vote in as soon as you possibly can. With saying that, let's just Sammy. Let's plug like. A link in this description of this episode that can tell everyone like when polls open up and their Maryland voting yeah. opens up we'll be sure to plug that plug that information because it really is so important it's gonna be it's gonna be a shit show so prepare for it and do what you can <laughs> to prevent it I think the, the other thing that I want to note about mail-in voting is that a bunch of ballots have been um not counted in either the primary election cycle this year or in prior mail-in uh, voting scenarios in the general election because of really basic things like people forgot to sign it um, mm, or yeah. people didn't you know follow the very specific instructions on the form. So I would also then and this sounds like a stupid thing to emphasize, but it is a huge reason that ballots do not get counted. Read the instructions on your ballot very, very clearly and follow them very explicitly. Um, yeah. We have some information on that posted on our um, Instagram as well around I'm going to actually just pull it up right now. Non-matching signature was yeah. a reason that 27.5% of ballots um, were rejected. So like it's, it's right. things like that, like that's matching the signature in most cases on your um, license or other kind of state-owned file. So there are really basic ways to make sure that your ballot gets counted that if you're not aware of might um, unfortunately lead it to not be counted. 
All right. So in terms of next steps, what we really want you guys to do is of course sign up for Know Your Vote. So go create yourself a profile. Of course, the links will be, you know, in the bio of the episode. Um, head to Girl and Gov the podcast on Instagram as well as Girl and the Gov, and you'll be able to find all the links that work for you. Um, and let us know what you learn. Um, so tag us, let us know how it goes. If you have any questions, uh, you know where to find us. Yes, for sure. I mean, this is the time to do it. Um, get on it. Like get obviously registered, get your voter checklist, but then like it goes beyond that once you are ready to vote. Like be informed. Do what you need to do. Um, and again, like this only comes every four years. Like this is your time to shine. Do your due diligence, like make very informed decisions and know your vote is a great resource to do so. So well, thank you guys. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was great to chat with you both. And I really appreciate um, that you made the time to have us on here. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge. We really appreciate it. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.